sentence, make them, they will make me a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. What makes this place a sanctuary is that God lives there. God lives there. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 5, it says, it, call, it uses this phrase, the cherubim of the glory in G is probably capitalized in your Bible, capital G, glory. What that's saying, that's an ancient Hebrew way of saying where God lives, where God's glory lives, where God inhabits the earth. Think about what this shows us, that the God of the Bible sets up shop on earth. God comes from heaven and moves into earth. And not just a God, not just the God of the river Styx or the God of the Nile or the God of water or the God of fire or the God of uh, Mount whatever, but the God who created everything that is, the God who spun the stars in the sky, who created every atom, every molecule, every ounce of energy in the entire cosmos, that God, the only one true God, moved in, said, I will live on earth. I will dwell among you. I will come and dwell among you. There is no other God like this. In worship, we see God wants human beings to come to God. But in the word sanctuary, in the word sanctuary, we see that God comes to human beings. Before a sacrifice can be made, before repentance can be given, before any regulation can be observed, before I can do anything to say thank you or help me or anything, God moves in. God comes and does it. You might say, well, didn't they have to build the tabernacle before he moved in? Yeah, but where was he? He was standing on the mountain waiting for his house to be built. The end of Exodus tells us that the glory of God moved from the mountain to the tabernacle. That God didn't, wasn't far away. God just said, I'm going to give myself a permanent house. Instead of you having to guess where I'm going to show up, like I, you had to do with Abraham and Moses, instead of guessing where I'm going to show up, on a burning bush or on this tree or under that palm tree, I'll tell you where I'm going to be. I'll promise to meet you right here. I will give you a predictable place where I will be. I will make my home among you. Before we can do anything, before we can even worship God, before human beings can come to God, God comes all the way to human beings. This is the order of the gospel. The order of religion says, do the right things and God will love you. Obey these regulations and then God will love you. The order of the gospel says, God moved in. Now come to him. This is the door. This is the way. This is the instruction. The God of the Bible hands you a three by five index card while he sits in the passenger seat and says, let's celebrate. Let's celebrate. He's already here. Think about this. There is no other God in the history of the world that does this. If you just think about the modern religions, if you think about Buddhist stupas, the places of Buddhist worship, Buddhist stupas are shrines over a dead man's bones generally. You go there, but God doesn't live there because in most Buddhism, there is no God. Not in a personal sense. Even in a sense where there is a God, that God is, is the uh, impersonal all-soul. It's a pantheistic religion. God lives nowhere because God lives everywhere. In Hinduism, there are temples everywhere, all over India and, and, um, and Nepal and the like. But the gods don't live in those temples. That's just where you go to honor the gods. The gods don't live there. It reminds me of uh, the Greek gods, right? The Greek gods, there's temples all over ancient Greece. You've probably been to them. If you've been to the Pantheon or if you've been to uh, the Temple of Aphrodite in Ephesus, if you've been to those, there are temples to them. But do the gods live there? Where do the Greek gods live? On Mount Olympus. That's where they live. They don't live on earth. They only come to earth when they want to have some fun, when they want to shack up with somebody who's human or they want to eat you. Like that's the only time they come to earth. 
In Islam, God would never come to earth. God would not. God is too holy to come to this place. God will stay in heaven. God cannot. He has to mail the instructions to you. Plato said the same thing. Only in Christianity does God move to earth. And David and Israel get this. David and Israel start to see these regulations and the tabernacle as something that no other God, that they've never heard of, that the world has never heard of. No one. That's why Deuteronomy chapter 4 says this way. It says, um, when the nations around you hear about all these decrees, they will surely say, this is a great nation, these wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us? Whenever we pray to him, they're thinking spatially. God lives in the midst of the people. What other nation has their gods close to them? All other nations, the gods stay far away and you keep a statue of that God here. Because God's not here. God's somewhere else. David will say this. He'll say this later. He'll say, there is no one like you, Lord. This is 1 Chronicles chapter 17. There is no God but you, as we have heard with our own ears. And who is like your people, Israel? The one nation on earth whose God went out to redeem a people for himself and to make a name for yourself and to perform great and awesome wonders by driving out the nations before your people, whom you redeemed from Egypt. You made your people, your Israel, your very own forever. And you, the Lord, have become their God. You see what the Bible is trying to say over and over and over again? There, what other gods like this? What other God came and redeemed a people that was nothing? Just said, you know what I need? I got the whole earth. I can choose any people I want to. How about slaves? What other God does that? None. My buddy M.K. Baharti in India uh, became a Christian about 15 years ago. M.K., when he's talking to Hindus, he will ask this question. He'll say, out of the entire pantheon, he said, I used to be one. I wasn't Hindu. I know this pretty well. you come in. You may say, well, what about the, 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 the God of love? I don't really believe in any organized religion. I just believe in this nebulous God of love. That is not a conceivable thought, was never a conceivable thought until Jesus showed up. Thank you, Jesus. You can only think that crazy thought because of Jesus. And the God of love that is the, 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 the nebulous also God of love that we tend to think of as better than the God of the Bible is a monster compared to the God of the Bible. It just is. If you investigate that God of love that you have projected into heaven, that you've said, I believe in a God of love who never corrects me or rebukes me. That God does not love you. Because a God who, doesn't, who, who will not correct you and rebuke you from dangerous things, who, will try, who does not try to save you from things that will destroy your life, does not love you. How does all of this point us to Jesus? How does all this point us to Jesus? Well, John chapter 1 verse 14 says this. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Made. That word dwelling, made his dwelling among us, is the same word, tabernacle. It says the word of God, that God became
in Jesus. The very glory of the temple is now hidden in Jesus, and he walks around. And I can show you all kinds of incredible things, which I'll show you next week. I'll show you incredible next things. But the fact that God moves onto the earth puts God at risk. The ark will be captured by God's enemies. And even that is prefiguring the most ultimate thing. When the ark, God's presence in human form, is captured by his enemies. And nailed to a tree. And when the God of the universe says, I will be near you even if it means I have to be vulnerable. I will, be, I will bear all the cost of vulnerability. I will go be vulnerable first. Even if it means you kill me. And he did. They nailed him to a tree. And yet that shows us the next thing. That in the, the regulations for worship, we said that God made a way for sinners to come in. God wanted sinners to come to us. In the cross of Jesus Christ, we see that God has made a permanent way. We see that God has made a permanent way. That Jesus died, rose from the dead, and ascended into heaven, and he left the door open. He left the door open. Saying, come on, follow me. Anybody who will follow me, follow me in, and I will introduce you to my dad in heaven. And now he pours out the Holy Spirit so that we can worship in spirit and truth. And he makes us the temple. That the Holy Spirit who dwelt between the cherubim now dwells between my rib cage and your rib cage and in this church. Not the building. This is bricks and mortar and steel. If it burned down tomorrow, we'd still have a church. Don't burn it. Don't set it on fire. I don't want to find out. Applications. You you application two do you still believe you have to do something to make god love you is the voice in the back of your head that will not let you forgive yourself still convincing you you need to add to the cross of jesus what are you going to add nothing because there isn't the bill has been paid and the resurrection is proclaimed the gospel says god is here Emmanuel, God with us, now love me. Now respond in love. Now for your family, if God loved first, you love first. I didn't know this until this past week. Did you know the Bible, husbands, let me talk to you. You know the Bible never commands wives to love their husbands? It never says, wives, love your husbands. Not in that order. It says, it'll say love one another, but it never says, wives, love your husbands. You know what it always says? Husbands, love your wives. Husbands, go first. You love first. You be vulnerable first. You don't make her be the one who has to ask for help. You be the one who has to help. Love makes itself vulnerable, even if it means getting hurt. Remember the cross? Love moves into the neighborhood and says, I will show up in your life, even if it means getting hurt. I will, I will bear the weight of being vulnerable first. Ask your wife, husbands. How can I love you better? Pray, will you teach me to be a better husband? I don't know what I'm doing. I need you to teach me some things. Help me, please. Pray, can, can you help me be a better dad? Like, can you show me, when you see me doing things that just aren't right or you have a, another idea, will you, will you love me enough to help me figure out how to be a dad? Because I don't know what I'm doing. I really don't. I need help. Let's bear the brunt of that. Let's move in first. Ask for help. 
And when somebody gives us instructions on how to love them, when Claire says, Andrew, I really like it better when you, um, I don't know, take out the recycling than when you uh, wear a really sexy wife beater. <laughs> I never wear a wife beater, by the way. When she says, it shows me more love when you do that. Okay, I'll take out the trash. I'll take out, like, I'll submit to that. Not because it's a regulation that if I don't do, you'll hate me. But because the regulation is just the way for me to love you even in the midst of my sin. And then lastly, for your neighbors, you are the temple. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. You are proof to your neighbors that there is a God who loves them and loves them. They can't know that. They can't know that unless you love them first and love them in your authentic, sinful self. Unless you were the first person they meet who says, I screwed up and I'm sorry. Maybe you'll be the first person I heard this week, first person in their office to say, I will not badmouth somebody. I will not throw anybody else under the bus because Jesus didn't throw me under the bus. Maybe that's you. Let's pray. God, your word is so deep, I could preach it for days and not touch the surface, just be a rock skipping across. And so would you teach us? Would you, Holy Spirit, and would you teach us all truth? Because Andrew can't teach all truth. Andrew doesn't have time or energy or words or intellect or wisdom. But you, Holy Spirit, can. Maybe there's somebody who right now, for the first time, has seen in this, the gospel, that they don't have to do anything to earn the love of God. Except open their heart, open their hand. Say, yes, I accept Jesus as the way that sinners can worship the one true God. God, will you move into my heart and my life? Will you tabernacle in me and change me that I might be a vessel of your love and presence in this world that you use me for? If you just prayed that prayer or something like that, you are a Christian now. In Jesus' name, amen. Not because we have to, but because we get to. We're going to worship God with our tithes.